So I'll stand to our feet as we open our Bibles to the book of Colossians. And as you turn there, our kids are dismissed to their core kids' classes. Their teachers will meet them in the back and escort them there. The book of Colossians, chapter 2. We're in chapter 2 this week. Book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1, when you got it, say so. And it says, for I want you to know that a great conflict, what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have seen, have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him." Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Lord God, thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence, God, that we hunger and thirst for. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us in these next few moments, that you would open our ears, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church and that we would respond in faith to your word. God, glorify yourself in our time together. We pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to make sure that you're able to follow along in the introduction of the sermon. Also, I want to be sure that you have the memory verse that is there. Uh, we're all going to repeat this in a moment. And then, as always, as a reminder, you are a disciple of Jesus, and you have been called to help others either come to faith in Christ or you are there in their life to help them grow in their faith in Christ. And so one of the ways that you can help someone grow in their faith is when you are teaching them the scriptures. And so you may think, I'm not equipped to teach. And what I want you to know is that this morning you're going to be equipped to teach these next seven verses that you're going to learn. And so you can sit down with them and simply say, hey, we went over this in church on Sunday. Let's talk about it. And so what that will do is that will help you to understand the scriptures better. It will help you to retain the scriptures better. And also, it will hold you accountable to the things that you're learning in the scriptures. And so, you have your outline there. And so, there is a memory verse. And again, for those of you that are with us, that haven't been with us from the beginning, um, this memory verse is the verse that I believe encapsulates what this book is about. And so, we're going to go ahead and memorize this verse. And so, what we're doing every week together is we're repeating this verse together three times times so that way we can learn how to memorize the scripture. So um, just real quick, anybody memorize the scripture yet? 
Listen, if you memorize the scripture, I just want you to know you can come up here with me, right? And I'll give you a mic, and then you can lead us in this once you memorize it, all right? So I have not memorized it yet, but I'm getting close. So let's say this together. Ready? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. The last time, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Give yourselves a hand. Good reading there. Good job. I know sometimes you get afraid of your voice, but just know you have a beautiful voice, all right? And so express it. And when we read Scripture, we read it with authority, right? Because this is the truth of God's Word. And so in your outline there, you'll see this paragraph that I have. We live in a day filled with voices of deception, we live in a day that is filled with voices of deception. We have, um, you know, the, the, um, the, 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 there's all kinds of ideas and ideologies that are out there. And so we need to be able to recognize which voices are the voices of truth and which voices are not. And um, not only in our culture are there all kinds of voices, and, um, you know, but there are voices around us, right? There are voices that we hear, right? Not that you hear voices, right? But there are voices that you hear communicating to you, right? Feelings, emotions, thoughts, things like that that are, that are challenging the truth of Scripture inside of us. And so as those who trust in the validity of the Bible as inspired by God, and what does that mean? It means that we literally believe that this, that this is God's Word, that God literally spoke these words, right? That's what we mean by that. It, and not only did He speak that, but because He spoke that, we believe it's necessity and the governance of our lives uh, we are the minority within the culture, and in many cases, even within the professing church. What I want you to know is that there's a lot of people who do not believe that this is God's word. They do not believe that this is words that God spoke himself to man. They will try to deny that, and, and they'll try to argue these points. And then there are some, those are expected, right, some of them that are not in the church. But you know what is a sad reality? There are many in the church today that do not believe that this is God's inspired word. They don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And as such, what happens is they don't believe 
that they need to follow or obey the Bible in all things and in all areas of their lives, which makes us, in many cases, we are the minority, right? Because people don't want to hear the scriptures. I mean, you have churches, you have denominations that are arguing and having conversations about how the Bible applies to us today and is the Bible outdated and, you know, these things that were said, those were only within the context and those only mattered then. But you and I have to realize something. The enemy of our souls would have us silenced and lackadaisical as he seeks to undermine the authority of Scripture. But why is it that he wants to undermine the authority of Scripture? It is because it is in an effort to minimize the claims about Jesus. Are you here? What does he want to do? If he can make you not believe what the Bible is, which is God's inspired word, then he can make you not be concerned with your need for Jesus and what the Bible says about Christ. And ultimately, what does that mean? That it leads us to an understanding that we don't need to be saved. And so when the, the enemy is successful in undermining the word of God, then what happens is we start to not look at Jesus. That's the reason why we're memorizing scripture about who Jesus is. And we have to remember that in the context of the book of Colossians, that is what these false teachers were trying to do. They were trying to undermine who Jesus is. They were trying to undermine who, 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 the, who this Jesus was. And, and, and they were trying to make the Colossians believers think differently about Christ. And so here is the big idea that I have for you this morning. The doctrine, and when I say doctrine, I mean teaching. The doctrine of Jesus Christ must get from our heads to our hearts to our feet. The teaching, the doctrine of Jesus must get from our heads to our hearts to our feet. It must come to a place where we understand what it is that the Bible says about Jesus for sure. Faith and Christianity do not exclude the brain, right? There's some people that want to say that, that in order to believe in this God, in order to believe in this book, that you have to leave your brain at the door. I want you to know that that is false. That is not true. You and I have a God that is real. He is all wise. The Bible Bible says, as we'll see, that all wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ. And so God doesn't want you to leave your head, but what God wants is he wants your knowledge about him to go from your head to your heart. And can I tell you something? This is a lot longer distance than you think. The distance from here to there, I think it's like 16 inches or something like that. But the reality is to get something from your head to your heart, sometimes that takes a whole lot of stuff. And the enemy is striving. Can I tell you where the enemy camps out at? He camps out like right here. Hello, somebody. Right? Because he wants you. Oh, you can understand whatever you want about Jesus, but don't let it get to your heart. Because here's the thing. When it gets to your heart, this is the beauty of this, is that you see the distance from your heart to your feet. It's a lot longer than 16 inches, but what I tell you is this, is that when the truth of Scripture penetrates and transforms your heart, it will automatically flow into your feet, meaning that you will begin to live a life for the glory of God. And so the big idea this morning is that, is that the doctrine of Jesus must get from our heads to our hearts to our feet. Our lives should be reflecting who Jesus is. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must seek out the treasures that are in Christ. 
We must seek out the treasures that are in Christ. And so I'll go ahead and I'll say that this is the head part. We must get a full understanding, as full of an understanding that we can about Christ. So let's look at verses 1 through 3 and see what this says here. And, 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 and we'll unpack this um, verse, verse by verse. But he says, for I want you to know the Apostle Paul, he's tying in. If you remember, we started last week and Paul talked about his labor. He talked about his agony. Remember the encouragement that I gave you? That ministry was going to be an, a labor, right? A working to exhaustion, an agony, right? An agonizing over what it is that God has called you to do. So he ties that in with this first verse here. He says, for I want you to know what a great conflict, or another translation says struggle, I have for you and those in Laodicea. Remember Laodicea is a few miles away from Colossae. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. And so the first thing we notice here is the Apostle Paul is talking about a struggle. And he's not talking about an external struggle. He's talking about an internal struggle, something that is going on inside of his heart for the people of Colossae, for the church in Laodicea, and for everyone who has yet to see his face, that have not seen his face in the flesh. What is that telling us about the Apostle Paul? That he is agonizing, and I don't know if I pointed this out so well last week, but I want you to realize that when he talks about this labor and he talks about this agony, this isn't just physical labor and this isn't just physical agony because one of the issues that we have in the church today is that we want to do work we want to do things but we are not agonizing in the place of prayer we're not agonizing in the place of of intercession we're not laboring there and what Paul is showing us here is that he is having an internal struggle he's agonizing he's laboring in prayer for what for people that have yet to see him he hasn't even met these Christians he doesn't even know them and so what is Paul show us in his example is that number one, we should be concerned about the home church. We should be concerned about one another's faith. We should also be concerned about the faith of the local church, meaning the church in Oviedo, the church in Seminole County, the church that is here, that is local. But also, we should be concerned about the global church. We should care about what's going on in the church around the world. We should be praying for the people that call themselves Christians in all parts of the nation. We should be praying for the nations of the world. We should be thinking about those who, who, who are out there as missionaries. Our hearts should be connected to those. As the Apostle Paul shows us, this should be the heart of us as believers. He goes on to say in verse 2, he says that their hearts, this is what his agony is about. This is what his struggle is about, right? So I want you to get this because when I say that we should be concerned, what should our concern be? Our concern should be this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so what is Paul's agony about? What is he concerned about? He's concerned that their hearts would be encouraged. He's concerned that they would be unified in love. And he's concerned that they would be settled in their understanding of the truth that is hidden in Christ. See, here's the thing. Ever since the beginning of the church, the church has always been under attack. 
From its birth, the church has been under attack. You read the book of Acts. The book of Acts, if you don't know this, the book of Acts is a span of 30 years of history of the church. From its inception in the upper room, it goes from the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven, told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they were filled with power, and it walks you through the next 30 years until the apostle Paul who wrote this letter, he was probably, that was probably during the time that um, this letter was written when he was imprisoned in this jail, and so so he's there, he's in prison, and it walks you all the way through that history. But you know what you notice throughout the history of the church, just in the book of Acts alone, is that the church has always been persecuted. The church has always been under attack. And so a church that is under attack has to be a church that has to have a few things. And one of them is they have to be encouraged in their hearts. Because if we're going to be under attack, if we're going to go through hardship, if we're going to go through difficulty, there has to be some encouragement there. There has to be some, you know what, you're not doing this in vain. You're not fighting this fight by yourself. You're not fighting this fight for no reason. You're not living for the glory of God for no reason. Listen, you may not see what God is doing. You may not feel what God is doing, but he is at work whether you feel him or not. This is the truth that we see here in the scripture. He wants their hearts to be encouraged. Another thing that has to happen if you're going to be a church that's going to be under attack is you have to be unified. Hello, somebody. You have to be unified, but not just unified. You have to be unified, not just in what the scriptures teach, but you have to be unified in love. You have to be unified in love. You have to be walking together in love. You have to care for one another. You have to have concern for one another. And if you don't have that, then there's going to be, there's going to be issues because when problems rise up, when hardship rise up, so you got to understand something. Attacks don't just come from outside. Sometimes they come from inside, right? Like, like, like some of those people you love so much, some of those people you sit next to, some of those people, those are the ones that send the, the, the most fierce darts at one another. Hello now. Right? Those are the ones who have some of the harshest words. Those are the ones that hurt you. Those are the ones that offend you. And, and why do I want to be around those people? Well, if you're not unified in love, you don't want to be around them. If you're not unified in love, you don't want to forgive them. If you're not unified in love, you're not going to stand together when the enemy is attacking, whether it's from the outside or from the inside. So you have to walk together in love. And then we have to be settled in the understanding of the truth. We have to be firm. We have to be settled in what God has communicated to us about his son Jesus, what God has communicated in the gospel. We have to be settled in that reality because if we're not encouraged in heart, if we're not walking together in unity and love, and if we're not settled in the truth, then guess what? The enemy is going to win. The enemy is going to win. And so all of this has to do with us having the right understanding. See, here's the thing. that The, the, the false teachers at Colossae that the Apostle Paul is writing about, they said that wisdom and knowledge were hidden away in mystical experience or higher knowledge. That's what they were saying. Now think about this for a moment. They were saying, man, the deeper stuff that is in God, the deep, that, that deep stuff that you want, man, that deep stuff is in mystical things. That deep stuff is in experiences. And the apostle Paul says, no, no, no. All of that deep stuff is hidden in who? Jesus Christ. All of that deep stuff is hidden in him. And so you want to know him. And remember now, in those days, they didn't have the New Testament that we're reading. They, didn't, they had this epistle that was coming to them. But what they had was they had the Old Testament books. That's what they had. They had the Old Testament books. They had these, these books of the Old Testament. They had these prophecies in the Old Testament. And they were supposed to dig into these scriptures. They were supposed to dig and learn about who this Christ was. Because what? Because that is where all, look at verse 3, in whom it is in. I want you to think about the word in. In. 
Because it's not just having a knowledge about. It is a, a thing that is in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, they are hidden in Christ. And here's the reality that you and I, while we are on this earth, we will never mine all of the treasures found in the full knowledge of God. I said this in our, in our, in our core foundations class, that we can know God truly on this, on this side of heaven, but we cannot know God fully. And what I mean by that is that God is greater than our understanding. We can know him truly because of creation, and we can know him truly because of what the scriptures say, but we will not know him in the, in the vastness, in the glory, and the majesty of who he is until we go from this life into the next, until we see him with unveiled faces, until we are no longer battling with our flesh. We'll never know his glory the way that he wants. But what does that mean for us? It means that it should result in us being lifetime learners of Jesus. This is what should happen, is that we should be lifetime learners of Jesus. We should, we should be overwhelmed with the mysteries. We should be overwhelmed with the reality of who Christ is. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing that this morning as I was preparing and getting ready, um, I, you know, when I'm getting ready, I turn on worship, you know, as I'm, as I'm you know, doing my whole routine in the morning, and uh, there was one song that came, that, that came on, and it's a song that someone sent me, and I, had, I hadn't listened to the song, and it's called Waymaker, and if you, if you haven't listened to the song, I encourage you to listen to it. It's like 11 minutes long or something like that, you know. I don't know, but, you know, I, I, I listened to, like, probably the first, like, 10 seconds of the song when they sent it to me, and I was like, ah, oh, whatever, and, I, and I'm going to tell you something. This morning, I was bawling for, like, 20 minutes listening to this song. I, I put it on repeat just because I I was like, man, this is so powerful. Because what? Because at that moment, I was sitting there in worship, and I was being reminded. See, at that time, it, see, it's not always just when I'm digging into, when I'm sitting down doing Bible study, but it's also moments when I'm actually there, and I'm worshiping. That's the reason why, why worship songs that are rooted in Scripture are so important for you to listen to, because as you do that, what happens is all of a sudden, this mystery, this treasure begins to be opened up, and you begin to experience this. And I'm not saying experience is bad. What I'm saying is that the foundation of my experience has to be the truth of Scripture. And so all of a sudden, these treasures begin to open up. My heart begins to become overwhelmed. I begin to be stirred and drawn nearer to God because of what? Because the treasures of all wisdom, of all knowledge are in Christ. And so all of my life, I'm going to be in the scriptures. All of my life, I'm going to be in God's word. And there will be different moments. And there'll be times that I'll be in worship. And all of a sudden, I'm reminded of the riches of who he is. I'm reminded that he is this way maker. I'm reminded that his promises will stand. I'm reminded that even when I don't see him working, he is working. See, all of these things are being stirred up inside of my heart as I'm meditating on who God is in this, in this particular morning with this song. The second thing. I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must be on guard against deceptively convincing voices. See, so the first thing is us, right? The doctrine of Jesus must get from our heads to our hearts. 
See, this is a heart thing, right? The book of Proverbs tells us what? It says that we are to guard our hearts because from it flow the issues of life. We are to guard our hearts because from it flow the issues of life. And so the reality is that we have this, these voices that I said about earlier that are there. And they are deceptively convincing. Look at verses 4 through 5. The Apostle Paul says, now this I say. So he's pointing out, I've said all of these things. Now this I say. Lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. So why is he, he said, he said, look, I've told you all these things. For all of these, and remember verses and chapters in the original, they weren't there. But all of these words I've communicated, all of this doctrine, if you just went from, from, from of chapter 1 all the way up until verse 3 of this chapter, I mean, you have some rich, rich doctrine of who Jesus is. You have some rich understanding of who Christ is. You have some really clear pictures of who he is. And you can sit there and you can grow in your faith on that. But the apostle Paul is like, listen, I'm not telling you this just so that way you can have more knowledge. He said, I'm telling you this so that way you will not be deceived by persuasive words. See, here's the deal. The culture in which we live gives us access to knowledge like no other. I mean, you think about it. You have a question. What do you do? Google it or you'd be like, Siri, tell me, right? Or something like that. It depends on what phone you got, right? And all of a sudden, Siri does what? She Googles, right? That's all she does, you know? So she's just doing it. So ultimately, you Google this and you can have all of these answers to all of your questions. Any question you have, Google will have it for you, the answer for you. Maybe, I don't know, right? And, and, and then you have, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, you know, I know me, like whenever I, 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 I search for a question or something like that, then there's also like there's responses, not just like, you know, articles or whatever. But then there's also people who have asked in like chat rooms and stuff like that. And they're like, hey, I have this question. And then I always like to see what people say. Like I like to go in there to hear all of the gurus, you know, the Yahoo gurus, you know, and, and all of these people that they just know everything. And so I go in there and I listen to, or I read what they're saying about this question. I'm like, oh, that's interesting or whatever the case is. And sometimes they hit it on the head. Other times it's just their opinion. You know, they give no facts. They, they just, this is what I think or whatever the case is. And so ultimately we have this knowledge that is that is accessible to us. Um, there are messages that are out there that, listen now, they sound good and they're appealing and they're much like the message of the serpent to Eve in the Garden of Eden. You see, you can go out there and you can ask questions. And when you ask these questions, because you have real questions and you have genuine desire to know something, but then there's also sometimes things that are inside of us that are causing us to ask these questions. And, and, and we ask the question, then we can find an answer. That sounds good. It's appealing. It feels good. Like, I want that answer. But what about when you come to the answer you don't want? Do we just love that? Yeah, because a lot of times when you go to the scriptures, right, and you go to the Bible, like, hey, but this is what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say what you want to hear. The Bible says what you need to hear, right? You sit down. You know, you ever have, you ever, you ever have someone who's, who's already talked to, like, six people before they talk to you? You ever, you ever had that person? You ever had that person come talk to you? All right. You should, let, let me just give you, give you some advice. This is free advice. This is free right now. You don't have to pay for this, right? But whenever somebody comes to you and asks you a question, learn to ask questions back. And one of the good questions to ask them is this, have you talked to anyone else about this? And if they say yes, then you know what the next question should be? What did they tell you about this? Because that will help you to understand where they are, what they're coming, where they're coming from, and what knowledge they have. Because sometimes you know who you are? You are that person's fall guy. Are you here? 
You are the person that they are coming to that they hope will agree with their feelings, will agree with their emotions because they've talked to five other people before you, six other people before you, and if they were Christian people and they were reading from the same Bible and interpreting Scripture the same way, guess what they did? They told this person six times, six different ways, the way that you're thinking about this is wrong is they are hoping that you as a person that is loving, gracious, kind, and a Christian, that you will hopefully tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. See, we have all these voices that are out there. We need to be, be careful that we are not deceived by, by deceptively convincing voices. And this becomes a hard issue. The enemy's tactics are the same as always. His tactics have not changed. They are, they are to entice us with erroneous arguments that sound good that resonate with us in the struggles that we are in or the struggles that we see going on around us, and they make sense on some level. But here is the question. Why do they sound good to us? So you and I have to ask the question, why is it that some of this counsel that you know is not biblical, why does it sound good to you? Why is it that some of the thoughts that you know that they don't, you, you, you hear the voices for the people who they're coming from, you know that they don't align with Scripture. Why is it that they sound good to you? Why is it that they're enticing to you? Why is it that you want to amen them? Hello, somebody. Why is it that there's something? And, and, and you know, there can be a whole lot of different things. And a lot of times, man, I'll be, the, the truth of the matter is, and I can tell you why this happens many times, it is because we will allow ourselves to be led by our feelings in so many moments, we will allow ourselves to be led by the way that we feel about something rather than what the truth of the scriptures tell us. I don't feel this way or I feel like this and the scriptures may not align with that. The way that whatever the Bible is teaching may not align with that. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. He goes on to say in verse 4 or in verse 5, he says, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, right? Like that sounds so unreal. Like how are you with me? You know, like how, how are you? But, but, but because he didn't just say that I'm there. But then he also used this word. He says rejoicing. I'm with you and I'm rejoicing. I'm with you and I'm participating. He said, I'm with you. I'm not there with you, but I'm there with you, right? I'm not there with you in the, in the room, but I'm there with you in the spirit. And it's not like Paul is standing on the room or floating somewhere, right? And he's like in the spirit like that. That's not what he's saying here. In his spirit, because he's been praying, he's been interceding, he's been talking with, with Epaphras, he, he's been having conversations, he's there with them in the spirit, he's heard of their good conduct, and look what he says to them. He says, so I'm there with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He was rejoicing because, you know what, despite what the false teachers were bringing to them, you know what he was hearing about? He was hearing about how steadfast they were. He was hearing about their good order. Those are military terms. And the idea is that they were standing their ground amidst the onslaught of these lies. Amidst all of these lies and all of this deception, they were standing firm. They were not swaying to the left. They were not swaying to the right. They were standing firm. And Paul said, I'm rejoicing in that. And here's why this is so important for us. Because when we look at what the apostle Paul was saying that he was rejoicing in with these people, it should be the same thing for us. That we are standing. Standing firm together. Are you here? 
that we are standing firm together in the truth of the scriptures, that we are standing firm together in what is right according to the Bible, not what is right according to my feelings, not what is right according to my emotion, not what is right according to the culture, not what is right according to my favorite teacher, not what is right according to whatever society is saying, but what is right according to the scriptures. That is what you and I have to be standing together on. We have to be firm in those things or, or what happens is the enemy begins to find ground. He begins to find a way to come in. So we have to stand firm together. We have to be unified together. We have to, we have to do this in order to do what? To guard against the plans of the enemy, which brings me to my next point. Because when we are united together, this is what happens. It positions us for biblical progress. Remember what I said? The doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, it must go from our heads to our hearts to our feet. This third point is our feet. Say this with me. Say our faith in Jesus must result in biblical progress. Our faith in Jesus must result in biblical progress. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Remember I said that word in earlier is so important. Established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And so as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord as you received him. See, here's the thing. Biblical progress is to become more like Jesus. And this is rooted in our relationship with Christ. And so some people have argued that Christianity is not a religion. I want to tell you that Christianity is a religion. It is a, if you were to look up the definition of religion, it's going to talk to you about a belief system. And so Christianity is a religion by definition. Here is the thing. Christianity is a religion that is rooted in a relationship. Are you here? It's not just a religion that is about doing the right things. It's not just a religion that is about living morally or doing stuff a certain way. All of this is true. But Christianity is not rooted in the rules and in the laws. It is rooted in the one who died and rose for us. It is rooted in a relationship with one who loves us, with a God who came to this earth and died in our place. The beautiful gospel that we believe in, that we are sinners being separated from God. God lovingly, graciously came and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves. We cannot, we cannot do anything to earn righteousness before God, to earn right standing before God, no matter how moral we are. See, that's the reason why Every other religion falls short because every other religion leaves you without a savior. Are you here? You can live, listen, you can live morally and you can do all kind of good stuff and that does not mean that you are right with God. Listen, you can have a perfect marriage. You can have the perfect children. You can leave an inheritance for your kids. You can have a successful business, a successful life. Your neighbors can love you and that does not mean that you are right with God. I know you don't want to hear that. As a believer, all of those things should be accurate, but here's the deal. The reality is, is that when we look at Christianity, Christianity is about a relationship with God, about a relationship with a Savior, about us coming to God and God no longer seeing me as the sinner that I was, but seeing me as his son or seeing you as his daughter, seeing you as his child and loving you graciously, offering you the salvation that is only in him. And not just salvation to get into heaven, but eternal life that begins now where you walk with 
him in a relationship. You love him. You know him. You grow in this knowledge. You experience this treasure. That is what Christianity is about. It's about coming into this understanding of who God is. And so we must have what biblical progress in our lives. The Apostle Paul, he makes it clear what biblical progress consists of. And let me tell you what it is. It is our walk, it is our roots, and it is our building, and it is our abounding. It's our walk. It's our roots, it is our building, and it is our abounding. So what does he tell us? He says, he he tells us clearly, he says in verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, the way that you receive Jesus, by faith, understanding who he is, the way that you received him, walk in him. Walk in him by faith. This is what he's telling them. Don't be deceived into looking for mystical experiences. Don't be deceived in trying to, you know, do all. We're going to talk about the deceptions in the next few weeks as we walk through the remainder of of what Paul is talking about. He gets real specific in the next portions of chapter 2. And he really talks clearly about what these deceptive teachings are. But he says, listen, don't do, don't fall into those things. He says, the way that you receive Christ, that is how you walk in him, in a relationship. And it ties in, this walking ties in with the idea that we just had in the steadfast, in the good order. It's this military thing as well, that we walk in him orderly, that we walk in him in a relationship, that we walk in him in obedience. Then he tells us what? He goes on, and he says, not just that, but verse 7, he says, rooted and built up in him. So we're rooted in him, built up in him. So this rooted thing is what? This is an agricultural picture. And he's saying root. When you think about roots, roots are what? Roots are what go down into the soil. Roots are where the plant drinks from. And so we need to be rooted in him. Where is our life? It's in Jesus. Isn't that the video that we see every week? Jesus is your life. That's, what, that, that's the way the video ends every week. He is your life. He is the source of your life. And so you must be rooted in him. Not just rooted in him, but also built up in him, right? Built up in him, not just rooted, not just experiencing life from him, but also built up in him. And so then he gives us what? He gives us this construction picture. So it's not just having roots in Christ, not just the agricultural side of it, but it's also being built up in him, being built, being strengthened, being molded, being aligned with his will. So not just that we have the roots, not just that we're walking a certain way, but that our life is being built according to his plan, according to his pattern. Are you here? That's what it means for us to be growing in him. Spiritual progress is that. It's the way that we walk. It's the way that we live our lives. And so listen, if you call yourself a Christian, but your walk doesn't align to him, there's a problem. If you call yourself a Christian and your source of life is not him, there is a problem. If you call yourself a Christian and your life is not being built according to his plan, there is a problem. He goes on to tell us more. He says, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. And so how is it that we're built up? How is it that we are? How is it that we're rooted? How is it that we're walking? We're doing this according to the way that we have been taught. And the last part of the verse says this, abounding in it with thanksgiving. You know what happens when I am walking with him? You know what happens when I am rooted in him? You know what happens when I'm being built in him? I abound in something. I abound in thanksgiving because I realize that my life, not perfect, Anybody here has a perfect life, hey, praise the Lord. It's not that my life is perfect. It's not that I don't have problems. It's not that I don't have issues. But I know the Savior who loves me. 
I know the Savior who is walking with me through all of it. I know the Savior who is never leaving me nor forsaking me. I know the Savior who has me firm. I know the Savior who, who tells me he is the one that's keeping me. I know this Savior. And so you know what I do? I abound in thanksgiving. And so listen, if you're not walking, if you're not rooted, if you're not being built, and if you are not abounding in thanksgiving, then man, you need to check your heart. You need to see where you are before God because you and I must measure our spiritual progress with biblical standards to ensure we are not just learning more about Jesus, but that we are living more like Jesus. It's not just about us knowing more about him. Listen, I want you to memorize this verse, but you know what I want you to do more than memorize a verse? I want you to live your life according to that verse. I want you to live your life understanding that he is the God of all creation. I want you to live your life understanding that he created everything and that all things consist in him. I want you to live your life in awe of who he is. I want you, that's, that, that's my heart, that's my prayer. That's the prayer of the apostle Paul. That's his desire. That is the struggle that he was going through. Is he was saying, listen, I wanna see you growing in this spiritual product. And here's the beauty of this, is that when we are living more like Jesus, the byproduct is that we overcome the onslaught of the enemy that he is sending against our lives. Listen, again, I'm not going to promise you a perfect life because I'd be lying to you. I'm definitely not going to ever promise you an easy life because I'd be lying to you. But what I can promise you is a life that your God is going to be with you and that you can overcome all things by the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? So here's my closing question for you. Are you making biblical progress in your walk with Christ? That's the question. That's the question of the morning. Are you making biblical progress within your walk with Christ? Are you, are, do, do you see yourself rooted? Do you see yourself walking out these truths in Scripture? Do you see yourself being built according to the Scripture? Do you see yourself abounding in thanksgiving? If you say no to any of that stuff today, God calls you to repentance. Today, God calls you to repent, to turn away from your own abilities, your own wisdom, and to begin to seek for the treasure that is in Christ alone. And if you're in this place and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the obvious answer is no, and the solution is one, and that is turn from your sin today. Cry out to God today and ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit and declare your devotion to him today and ask him to help you to serve him faithfully from this day forward. Amen. Amen. So I'll stand on our feet and let's pray together. Father, we thank you so very much for your goodness, for your grace, for your love, and for your kindness. And Lord, today we humble our hearts and we ask you, Spirit of God, that you would fill us with a great, great grace to live for you, to be rooted in you, to be built up in you, to walk before you for in a manner that is worthy of you, God, and to abound in thanksgiving. Lord, you know our hearts. You know every person in this room. And so for those that are in here that said no, that they're not making spiritual progress, then God, I pray that you would give them a heart to repent today. And that, you would, and that you would empower them to serve you. For those that are in here who are not walking with you today, Father, draw them to you, deliver them from their sin, fill them with your Holy Spirit. And Lord God, for those of my brothers and sisters that are in here and they are making spiritual progress, Lord, I pray for them. Oh God, strengthen them, continue to use them to build up others, Lord God, to encourage others, to, to walk in unity, Lord God, and strengthen your body and reach many for your glory and for your name's sake, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.